Well, good morning. Am I ever glad Justin's at Mount Juliet and I'm here because that was amazing. Man, praise God. I'm so, I was so encouraged. Uh, even uh, as, as I was getting Scott's mic back here during the last song, I was like, Scott, we should just keep on worshiping because uh, God's word has already been preached in the lives of everyone who got baptized that you can't be, there, you know, there's no one, you can't be anywhere that is away from God's presence and God's reach. There's nothing that you can do to make him love you less. There's nothing that you can make him do to turn his back uh, away from you. He is here. He is near. He is pursuing every single one of us. Unlike every other religion out there that says, do, 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 do so that you can be sufficient and hopefully earn salvation, God says, I have done. I have come down. I am here. I have done everything for you. Just open your hearts. Open your hands to me. And I believe that there are some of you here, even today, as you're seeing the baptisms, and as we'll dig through God's word, that God wants to bring you to himself. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. God, we give you praise. Lord, we give you thanks. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. We thank you that in the big circumstances, in the minute details, that you are there. That you are here. And Lord, we know that there's a word that you have for every single one of us. So God, I pray that you would speak clearly to each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you like cooking waffles? Or eat, or let's say eating waffles. Anyone like eating waffles? Okay. So cooking and eating waffles, I mean, it's like I grew up on Eggos. Anyone else grow up on Eggos? Yeah. So, but if, if you know, the, the day I had a real... Belgian waffle. Like, that was when Eggos tasted like cardboard. Right? Seriously, like, it's, Eggos are nasty. They're, they're great, but they're nasty compared to Belgian waffles. And I remember in St. Louis, uh, there was, it was like this marketplace, and there's just like this guy, it was this Belgian, literally, I ate, I went back every single day I was in St. Louis to the, even, I even wanted to go multiple times a day because those Belgian waffles were amazing. I then looked up online why Belgian waffles are amazing, and that's because it's like, what, a cup of flour, a cup of sugar, and a cup of butter? <laughs> Pretty much, like it's a cookie, all right, in the shape of a Belgian, you know, in the shape of a waffle. Well, you know, having said that, we still make Belgian waffles, just not that often, and I try to cut the butter, I try to cut the sugar, but still, you can't do it too much, otherwise it'll taste like an ego. Uh, so here's the thing about Belgian waffles, right? If you, I, I don't know how many of you have a good Belgian waffle recipe, uh, but to get good Belgian waffles, there's actually an order in which you need to do it. You can't just put all the ingredients, in, no, for real, you can't put all the ingredients together in whatever random order to get a good Belgian waffle. Literally, you have to have the, obviously you do the dry ingredients, and then you do the wet ingredients, but the thing about when you bring them together, Right, the egg yolks and the egg whites need to be separated. The egg whites you need to actually uh, use a mixer 
uh, and kind of like meringue, you got to beat them super hard so that they form peaks. There are some of you who know what I'm talking about. And then when the batter is, and here's a trick, the batter can't be too runny. If the batter is too runny, it'll actually, the, the Belgian waffle won't be crispy on the outside and fluffy on the inside. So you have to, the, the, the batter literally needs to be hard enough, not super hard, but hard enough that you then take the egg whites and begin uh, folding them in. And then that's when you put them on a hot waffle. Literally, if you try that, you're going to get the best Belgian waffles you've ever had. Now, the reason I wanted to share that with you is because God created the world with order, right? And I'm sure God created Belgian waffles as well because they are seriously amazing. The thing about Belgian waffles or waffles or even in the ingredients to get waffles, um, you, you need to harvest those first, right? Think about it like this. Can you harvest wheat without first planting it? Or how about eggs? Can you get eggs without the chicken? Or is it, can you get is it the chicken before the eggs? You know, in either case, whichever order there is, there is an order there. And as we'll see in today's passage in 2 Samuel 6, and if you have your Bibles, we're going to camp out there for a while. As we'll see in 2 Samuel 6, God is a God of order. And if we miss this, and a lot of times we actually, we, we skip that over. If we skip that over and we miss that God is actually a God of order, we'll actually miss a big part of who he is. Now, one of the things that I do with my kids is, you know, it says in the word that we need to hide God's word in our heart, right? We need to meditate on his word. So one of the ways that I found um, it's been most helpful for my kids and also for me to under, you know, memorize God's word is by coming up with songs. So after Victoria went to Centric Kid this last summer, they came back. Centric Kid, uh, <laughs> uh, we, she came back and with this little devotional and there are four memory verses. So we actually went through and we memorized all the verses and we created songs. And one of the verses was 2 Corinthians 5.17. And literally we just say, okay, what tune do we want to try? And we just come up with a song. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, we came up with, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because there's no way to put the verse in a song. You just got to, you know, put it in at the end really fast. So it's kind of like the song. Well, just like that verse says, the old is gone and the new has come. Right? And when, you know, as much as we're reading the Old Testament, right, and not the New Testament... Uh, when we read the Old Testament, a lot of us look at the Old Testament and we're like, oh, it's kind of like a straitjacket, right? How many of you read the Old Testament and you're like, oh, but that's the Old Testament. It's not the new order. You know, even I'm reading right now through Ezekiel and there's a lot of order and temple things and do this. And it's just, there's, there's just a lot there that honestly the thing that comes to my mind is, okay, is this legalism? Is this religion? I mean, isn't there freedom in Christ? Hasn't the old passed away and the new has come? And, and especially in America, I mean, it's all about freedom, right? It's all about building our own castles. And I wonder if with that framework, you know, when we approach the scriptures, I wonder if that's why Frank Sinatra's song, My Way, is so popular. No, seriously, like, I know it's an oldie, but I wonder if the reason it was so popular is because it actually fed into what we really wanted 
in our life. I mean, just consider his lyrics and what he's saying, right? Let's, let's get this up on the screen. And now, uh, it's going to be hard not to sing this, right? But, uh, and now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it. My way, right? You got to like do the vibrato. Uh, <laughs> but just take a look at this, right? I mean, how many times is there I, right? I, I'll, I'll, I've, 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 I, I. Right, let's look at the next first. I've had a few, but then again, try to see what this is saying to us, okay? I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way, right? He's saying, even with the regrets that I've had, I still did what I had to do. I would probably still do what I did. And, and through my plans, my will, my ways, I did it my way. Let's take a look at the next verse. Yes, there were times, are sure you knew, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and I stood tall and did it my way. Right? In other words, even though I've done a ton of stupid things in life, I'm still glad I did it my way. I've loved, I've laughed and cried. I've had my fill, my share of losing. And now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did, it, did all that. And may I say, not in a shy way, oh no, oh no, not me. I did it my way. He's saying the joys, the sorrow, the memorable moments of life, it's all because of me and as a result of me. And then the song goes on, for what is a man, what has he got? If not himself, then he is not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. My way. The song is catchy. And maybe on the way home from church, you're probably going to listen to it, right? Because, I mean, Frank Sinatra's version, uh, Paul, uh, what's that guy's name? Paul Kagan, Kagan, yeah, Elvis did it as well. And I mean, who else did it? Pavarotti did it. I mean, it's just like, I mean, there are so many different versions of this song. It's catchy, but it's so wrong in so many ways. Let's look at 2 Samuel 6. And, uh, and, and see why, and actually see what happens when we live our way. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 6. David again assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal, Judah. The, the ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood, instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and 
symbols. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named that place Outburst Against Uzzah, as it is today. I love it when that happens. Uh, It's so funny. Uh, David feared the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. It was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horn. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michal looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Well, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of armies. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community, both men and women. Then all the people went home. When David returned home to bless his household, Saul's daughter Michal came out to meet him. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of of the slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person would expose himself. David replied to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will dance before the Lord and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. However, by the slave girls you spoke about, I will be honored. And Saul's daughter Michal had no child to the day of her death. What did you notice? What popped out to you as we read through this? There are aspects probably where you were like, wow, that was really, really, really specific. Like that was a lot of detail right there. And then in other points, it kind of zoomed through. Did you catch that the ark was moved twice? Right? The first time the ark was moved, it was put on a cart. Not just any cart, it was put on a new cart. And think about how many people were there, right? 30,000, 30,000 fit young men in Israel. And all the troops, I mean, they went to bring the ark back to Israel. And there was a huge celebration, right? David was dancing, right? Michal was ashamed of him, but David was dancing before the Lord And when they came down off the hill, the oxen stumbled, the ark tipped, and then Uzzah reached out and took hold of it so it wouldn't fall off, right? But then if Uzzah stuck his hand out to stop the ark from falling, why did God then strike him dead on the spot? 
And why is it called irreverence? Like, why did this happen the way it did? I mean, what was the deal, really, of Uzzah dying on the spot? I mean, wasn't it it a good thing that David and the Israelites were worshiping the Lord? Right? I mean, literally, through the whole thing, it wasn't this solemn ceremony. I mean, it wasn't this funeral procession where the pallbearers are bringing the Ark of the Lord. It kind of seems like that, right? It's like the pallbearers are bringing the Ark of the Lord and everyone's really, you know, they're mourning, they're sad. No, everyone is celebrating. And then wasn't it even great that David brought 30,000 fit young men to come and bring the Ark of God home to Israel? I mean, wasn't even that in and of itself an act of worship? Plus, they didn't even just use any cart. They used a new cart. So what did Uzzah do wrong by reaching out to prevent the Ark of God from falling or getting damaged? I mean, wasn't Uzzah protecting God? If the Ark of God represented God's presence, and we've been talking about God's presence in this series, if that, if that represented God's presence and it was about to fall and hit the ground, wasn't he protecting God, wasn't he taking initiative? Wasn't he, you know, I mean, think, think about it. Wasn't he preventing a catastrophe from happening? He was there for God. I mean, did God get angry because Uzzah touched the ark, which represented God's presence? I mean, is God a germaphobe that is like, hey, you, like, you can't touch the ark, dude. Like, you are not the guy who touches, like, what's it? I mean, it's an ark, right? Who cares? I mean, why did the Lord's anger burn so much against Uzzah that even on that spot, it wasn't that in other instances, you know, it's not like he got a plague or it's not like he got, you know, leprosy that then later on if he repented, you know, God can heal him. No, he literally died on the spot, right? Are there a set of rules or commands in our relationship with God that we dare not defy, otherwise zap, right? Have any of you ever thought that? oh, I miss church this week. I'm going to have a bad week. Oh, you know what I did? I didn't read the Bible today. Oh, it's going to be a bad day. Right? Do we ever treat our relationship with God and God's presence as this transaction where, oh, we better do this, otherwise this will happen, or we better do, and we go, go back and forth, back and forth. I mean, think about it like this. And why did Uzzah die by preventing the ark from stumbling Yet David didn't die by getting angry at God. I mean, Uzzah did not get angry at God, right? Uzzah was transporting, he was serving the Lord. He did not get angry, yet David got angry. So how is that supposed to make sense? I mean, no wonder if you look at this first, what happens at the beginning of uh, 2 Samuel 6, no wonder David didn't want to touch the ark again. And no wonder if you look at verse 10, we see that he just left it there. Right? First sentence. So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. So he just got diverted to some guy's house. Well, three months goes by. Right? Three months goes by from Uzzah dying right there, that first try to bring the ark to Israel. Three months goes by, and then David sees that over the three months, the ark was actually blessing the guy's house that it was situated in. Right? God's presence was blessing those who were in his presence. So David decided to try again. And this time he was successful in bringing it to Israel. So what changed between the first time and the second time? Did God just feel better this time? Right? 
mean, don't we ever sometimes maybe even think that? Like, I wonder why God acted this way in this instance and, and that way in that instance. It seems random sometimes. And maybe, maybe it, it worked the second time because no one touched the ark. But really, is God that fickle? Well, let's take a look at uh, the, the, the second instances and see what was different the second time around. Now, we read 2 Samuel 6, but if you look at 1 Chronicles 15, 1 Chronicles 15 uh, is the exact same uh, situation, is the exact same scenario, exact same story, but it has a little bit more explanation. Right, so look at what it says in First Chronicles 15, verse 2. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God. See that difference? Because the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. And secondly, they weren't carrying the ark, right? Do you see what happened the first time around? They were carting the ark. Even though it was a new cart, they were carting it the second time around. And even you look here, you, it's not about carting. You need to carry it. And look at First Chronicles 15, verse 11 to 15. So there's a little bit more detail here. David summoned the priests Zadok and Abiathar and the Levites, Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Elel, Abinadab. He said to them, you are the heads of the Levite families. You and your relatives must consecrate yourselves so that you may bring the ark of the Lord of God of Israel to the place I prepared for it. For the Lord our God bursts out in anger against us because you Levites were not with us the first time. Right? You see the difference between the first and the second time? For we didn't inquire of him about the proper procedures. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. Then the Levites carried the ark of God the way Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord on their shoulders with the poles. Even if you look at Exodus 25... Uh, and Numbers 4. I mean, there's, if you look at even those two passages, uh, you see that there's an order in which we are to approach the Lord. There's an order in which the ark was supposed to be brought down and carried, and there's an order in, in which we need to approach God. I mean, do you see the difference? You see that difference between the first and the second time? The first time, they were trying to, they were approaching God, and they were moving the ark my way. Right? They were like, I'll do it my way. They didn't even inquire of God. They thought they were doing God a favor. How many times do you, do you sometimes feel like you're doing God a favor by serving at the church? By coming. You're like, oh God, I'll, I'll, I'll do you a favor. I'll help out. And later on you hope that God will pay you back in some way. The first time, without even inquiring of the Lord, as we see right here, they were trying to move the ark my way, whereas the second time they moved it God's way, listening and obeying to his divine instructions. I mean, isn't this why the spiritual disciplines of reading the word, of studying the word, of memorizing the word, of praying, of corporate worship, of corporate worship, I know we have, and for those who are uh, you know, worshiping with us online. I'm glad that we do that. All right? I'm glad that even if you're on vacation, you know, you can go on and, and worship with us online for, from wherever you are. All right? I'm glad that we have that option, but there's a reason we gather together regularly. 
There's a reason in reading the word, in worshiping the Lord, even in that last song that we sang about you know, who we are in Christ. I mean, just think about it. How many times do we read, do we see, do we hear the word tell us, hey, you are not beautiful enough. You are not strong enough. You are not uh, tall enough. You are not, and you're, you know, we have these, you are not, you don't get paid well. You don't have a good enough. You will never make it. You don't amount to, and we hear time and time again who we aren't or who we are in the way that the enemy wants to feed that. Yet once a week we gather together, maybe a couple times a week if you're in a life group, we come together and we're reminded through corporate worship, through the preaching of the word, through offering, through giving, through, through the fellowship that happens before and after our service, we're reminded, hey, actually, this is who I am. I am a beloved child of God. I'm a beloved child of God. I mean, isn't that why God has taught us, God has brought us together. I mean, this is not about legalism, right? Reading the word, praying, coming before the Lord on a weekly basis. This is not a legalism. This is not a check the list thing. It's more about, hey, God, I want to be in your presence. How many times do you read the word and you're like, God, I didn't get anything out of it? That's not the point of reading the word. Reading the word is simply spending time with him, whether you get anything out of it or not. Right? Everything about us in this world is about, hey, did I get the best deal? Right? Did, did, did you know, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. So inevitably, that's how we approach God's word. But that's not how God has intended it. It's no, just spend time with the Lord. Read his word, spend time in his presence, pray, let's worship, and God will shape us and change us as we do, as we enter into his presence. We see it clearly in this passage, the results of a life lived my way versus God's way. It's a, it's a difference between life and death. Yes, God's way of order required listening and obeying instructions. Yes, that's true, but the result around when we follow God's order when we follow God's way of entering into his presence, the result is not restriction, it's flourishing. When you approach God, do you approach God with reverence? Oh, wait a second, wait a second. If you were here last week, you know, you go to 2 Samuel 6, you might have uh, remembered or, or, or there might have even been, been some parts of this entire story where you're like, didn't we cover this last week? Didn't Eric preach this last week? And the interesting thing is last week, Eric preached 1 Samuel 6, and this week it's 2 Samuel 6, right? 1 Samuel 6 and 2 Samuel 6. The, the fascinating thing about last week and this week is that it's 70 years, 70 years has gone by from 1 Samuel 6 and 2 Samuel 6. So, so just consider what happened between 1 Samuel 6 and 2 Samuel 6. Right, 1 Samuel 6, the ark returns, right? And that's why probably some of you were like, oh, didn't we read this last week? Because last week, the ark returned from the Philistines to the Israelites. The thing about that is it never made it to Israel. For the next 70 years, it was at Abinadab's house on a hill for 70 years. And over the next 70 years, Samuel grows old. 
Over the next 70 years, Samuel appoints judges, his sons as judges over Israel. And then he anoints Saul as king. Saul then rules and he reigns. But then he goes ahead in 1 Samuel 13, living life my way versus God's way. You look at 1 Samuel 13, instead of waiting for Samuel the priest to come and sacrifice to the Lord, Saul goes ahead and lives life my way. Over the 70 years between 1 Samuel 6 and 2 Samuel 6, you see this ongoing repetition of my way, my way, my way, my way. Just take a look at 1 Samuel 13, verse 10. Just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. So Saul went out to greet him. And Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, well, when I, when I saw that the troops were deserting me and you didn't come within the appointed days and, and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. You see the my way rationalization that's happening, the excuses. Like, I mean, I forced myself to worship God. I forced myself to approach God in my way, not in God's way. I mean, Samuel then said to Saul in verse 13, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Saul is then rejected as king. Saul, uh, you know, rejected as king. Samuel anoints David. David defeats Goliath. Saul chases David in the desert. Saul kills priests. The whole David, Nabal, and Abigail incident happens. War happens over and over and over again. David keeps on getting chased by Saul. David joins the Philistines and then he returns back. Saul and his sons die. David then gets anointed and installed as the kingdom as the king of Israel. And then 2 Samuel 6 happens. See all that happened between first it's like, it felt like a time lapse. Right? It's like right, 70 years goes by and once again we're talking about the ark coming to Israel. For 70 years the people of God functionally lived without the presence of God. For 70 years, an entire generation has been raised up not understanding what it meant to worship the Lord. Not understanding what it meant to revere God in His presence. Yet, meanwhile, over the, over the 70 years, the ark of God is serving as a coffee table in some dude's house in the outskirts of Israel. Literally, the ark of God, the presence of God is within reach there in their country land for decades now. Yet the people of God have been living as if God did not exist. I mean, did Saul even know that the ark of God was within reach? We don't even read in Saul's account him even wanting to go get the ark of the Lord or think about the ark of the Lord or talk about the ark of the Lord. Yet David, immediately upon being installed as king, we see what happens. David, in 2 Samuel 5, right, he he gets installed as king. And then the first thing he does, after he goes out, he then brings the ark back. David knows that God's presence matters. David knows that it'd be foolish to try to do anything without the presence of God. So instead of establishing his kingship with his unique stamp, with his unique ways, he assembles 30,000 people and goes and gets the ark. Is this resonating with you? Maybe there are some of you here today who have resisted order and discipline in your relationship with God because you felt like it restricted you. 
But when you look at your life, is there fruit? When you look at your life and you look upon this past week and you're like, why is my fuse so short? Why am I struggling with these sins that I've been struggling for the last decade? And you look at your life and you're like, man, but, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm coming to church. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I, I've, been, I've been baptized. But why am I not seeing any flourishing in my life? Why is it from one valley to another valley? And you're wondering, why? Perhaps it's because you've been living life my way rather than God's way. And you've equated order in coming before the Lord with legalism. You've equated reading the word every day as, oh, but isn't that earning, trying to earn God's favor? Doesn't God love me just the way I am, whether I read the word or not? Whether I, I mean, it's okay to miss a Sunday here and there. I mean, God's not going to punish me. There's no, there's freedom in Christ, right? The old has gone and the new has gone. And, and you're rationalizing your lack of discipline in coming before the Lord and saying, well, God is a God of grace. You know, his love covers over a multitude of sins. So I'm good. Yet on the other side, you're wondering why you're not experiencing the abundant life that Christ has promised, and that you're, you even see in someone else's life. Are you reading the word? Are you praying? Are you coming before the Lord? Are you living life my way or God's way? And maybe there are some of you here, as we were reading through this account, you know what you need to do, right? You, you're, you're, you're like the Israelites where the ark is within reach, Right, You know, God has shared something with you or he said, no, you need to let go of this relationship or you need to, you need to quit your job or you need to, you need to change your, your, your friend circle. Because, and, and God has told you that time and time. You know God has spoken. You know what your next steps are. God's ark is within reach, yet, yet you're ignoring it and you're hoping it goes away. But maybe today, through this message, God is reminding you of the promise He made. Of the commitment that you made to Him earlier. Perhaps today, as we respond in worship, it's time to go and get the ark. Maybe there are some of you here who, instead of responding like Macau did, where she was more concerned about her reputation and how her family looked to others than to God, I mean, perhaps... Instead of responding that way, you know, we need to actually say, hey, like David, I'm going to live wholeheartedly onto the Lord, before the Lord, and give my all to the Lord. Because up until now, maybe you're living for the approval of others. Maybe you care more about that than about what God wants. Or what God has said. Perhaps instead of living like Michal, you need to respond like David and say, I don't care what anyone else thinks because I am living on to the Lord and Him alone. 